Hey everybody, it's Dan. Welcome or welcome back to the Bridge Church Podcast. Please, at the end of this episode, take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and head over to bridgechurchutah.com and have access to all of the church information and it's the easiest way to share content with a friend and keep up with everything going on around here at Bridge Church. Most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, good evening, everybody. It's nighttime and we're at church. I think since uh, first time since Christmas Eve, I would guess, maybe, probably, maybe, don't know. Well, welcome to the mid. This is a, a, a night that will live in infamy as the first, very first mid ever. Um, congratulations, you are a select few. There are a select few in this room who have actually been at every first church service that we've ever had. And this is a first, so welcome to the mid. Couple of things going on around here this week. Grief Share is happening on Friday at 7 p.m. Uh, upstairs in the upper room. For anyone who has lost anybody in the recent uh, little bit here, or if you just want to come and hang out with us, we'll allow that. Or a long time ago. Or a long time ago. Just show up. We got stuff. Uh, and I'll have you know, you know when a ministry is important because you buy a new coffee maker for it, what? right? And it's, it's like right up there at the top, okay? Uh, there was something else. Oh, intercessory prayer happens on Wednesday nights now from 5 to 6 as well as when? Saturday, Saturday nights from 5 to 6. So get your prayer on. Amen. And then again, of course, on Sunday, part two of that message series that is really way too long. What on earth am I here for? We're going to look at your ministry assignment as people in the earth. All right, is it okay if I sit down? Nobody gonna backslide or anything? If I, all right, it's uh, been on my feet all day, it should be illegal, all right? So tonight, I get to be the first one on the mid and it's very exciting. Uh, we're gonna look at, uh, this is a, a thing I used to do at our old church on the midweek service. And it was kind of fun and we called it Great Chapters in the Bible, right? And it was just, we're gonna talk about a great chapter in the Bible. And everybody always says, but pastor, aren't they all great chapters? And I said, yeah, of course. And, uh, but there are some that just um, affect your heart, that really kind of graze across your heart, and you're like, man. And I, know, I don't know how you do Secret Place or how you read the Bible, but there's certain, like the Lord will have me in the Gospels for like a year and a half, just reading the Gospels over and over and studying Jesus or Paul's epistles or the Psalms, for example, and Proverbs. And I would encourage you in your secret place to read a Psalm and a Proverb every day. And there's 31 Proverbs. Most of the time, there's 31 days in a month. I mean, they correlate without even having to really think about it too much, and your phone will tell you what day it is. So that's exciting. I mean, it's not even hard, right? So tonight, look at your neighbor and say, man, you are lucky you are here. <laughs> We're going to look at great chapters in the Bible. We're going to start with Psalm 22. 
right? How many of you know there couldn't be a Psalm 23 if there wasn't a Psalm 22? So if you brought a Bible with you, turn to Psalm 22. Uh, there are a multitude of prophecies in this psalm alone. Now this psalm was written, most scholars believe, about a thousand years before Jesus hit the earth. All right? And it, it's a psalm of David, so we can easily say that, uh, you know, in David's lifetime, which was like 1040 uh, B.C. to 970, died when he was about 70 years old or so. Um, so it was in David's lifetime, and that was easily a thousand years before Jesus came. And what I want you to do tonight is take some good notes. If you need lined paper for your notebook, that's back there. Or if you brought a journal or something, just take some good notes. And I want you to listen to the theme of Jesus in this psalm tonight, okay? Uh, by the way, if you wanted to give tonight, uh, you know how to do that. You're all home folks, right? Use an envelope in the box, 77977, bridge live to that, uh, and all the rest, all right? So what I'm going to do here is I want to give you a little background real quick on the psalms. Um, right? Songbook for the Hebrew church some book for the early first century church before cool people like Tony and David showed up. We had, uh, they used these psalms as a songbook. And we can see that uh, it's called a Sefer Tehillim, which means book of praises. And it, it's uh, the, the complicated title, right, super complicated title, is a poem to a stringed instrument. That's what the psalms were. Now, they all weren't songs. They were uh, penned by a multitude of people. We got Moses. We got Asaph, right? And, and Haman and the sons of Korah and Solomon's even in there, a dude named Ethan, Jeduthun, all kinds. And then there's some that don't even have uh, authors stated, and they call those just orphan psalms. And, and an orphan psalm is one that does not have, uh, or the author isn't, isn't uh, known, right? They, they go from Exodus, the Exodus, all the way through David's life, uh, even after that to um, the Babylonian exile, the restoration after the Babylonian exile. Uh, the Psalms are very interesting. Um, the New Testament apostles frequently, we'll see today in Psalm 22, frequently used references from the book of Psalms as text for teaching Christian doctrine. Now, let me make a disclaimer right here. Because the Psalms are poetry, 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 we are not technically in theology able to build doctrine off of poems. Job, Job Psalms, Proverbs, all poetry, right? We're not allowed to build doctrine off of these things. But what we're going to focus on Tonight is some really good prophecy that happens. There's four prophecies that took place in this chapter that we're going to see fulfilled in the New Testament in the Gospels. Then we're going to look at some really good praise ideas that God lays out in this psalm. Remember David, right? David was the, um, the epitome of praising and worshiping God. And Asaph, we see psalms written by Asaph. You know who Asaph was? He was the the Tony for, in David's household. He was the, the worship director for David. Okay, So if you see Psalms penned by Asaph, 
they probably got some good rhymes in there. And they weren't rhyming words, they were rhyming thoughts in Jewish culture, okay? So a little different, different idea for um, the way the Psalms worked. And again, a poem put to a stringed instrument. So what we're going to do, we're going to read this whole Psalm, all 32 verses, and then we're going to come back through and make some uh, comments. I want to point out these four prophecies. And then we'll look at some worship, all right? Now listen closely to the words of Jesus on the cross. It starts in verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that word forsaken literally looked away. Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? And it's interesting because if you look in the Hebrew in that, that's like the inside part of the Holy Spirit in you leaving that's how far God went from him. Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, and am not silent. Remember when Jesus died on the cross, there was the night season for three hours. The darkness fell on the earth. But you are holy. Listen to these verses right here. This is critical. If you want to learn how to worship God, you are holy, enthroned. Say enthroned. enthroned. In the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. That's just a faith statement. Thanks for coming right there. We'll see you on Sunday. That's just you know, praises trusted and delivered right there. Verse 5. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. I am a worm and no man. That worm that word worm in the Hebrew, devour, has the, the makeup of a maggot that just devours flesh and just tears it up, right? You can see how our Savior, our Jesus is being devoured as he's dying on the cross. A reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out their lip. They shake their head saying he trusted, literally hoped in the Lord and uh, let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Verse 9. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth from my mother's womb. You have seen my God be not far from me. For trouble is near, for there is none to help. A picture of the Lord after he has died on the cross. For many have surrounded me, strong bulls of Bashan. Bashan was a, a cattle area off the Galilee that was, had a lot of grass. The bulls is a reference to the Sanhedrin. Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouth. That's literally speaking against him. Like a raging and roaring lion, I am poured out like water. It's interesting, you know, your heart inside your body sits in a sack of some kind of water, right? But then when the soldiers stabbed Jesus in the heart to make sure he was dead, water and blood poured out of his side. So he was poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It melted when they stabbed it. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt. My tongue clings to my jaws. Remember Jesus on the cross, I thirst. You have brought me to the dust of death for dogs. Dogs in the Bible is usually a reference to evil men or Gentiles in Jewish culture. Have surrounded me. 
The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. Listen to this. They have pierced my hands and my feet a thousand years before Jesus was hung on that cross. David is writing about it right here. I can count all my bones. The uh, scholars that, that uh, write about Jesus' crucifixion said that he was so torn, his skin was torn off. He was nothing but sinews and bones left. He says, you can count all my bones. They look and they stare at me. Catch this, verse 18. They divide my garments among them. For my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Look at even in his suffering, in his worst, furthest point from God, he's asking to strengthen him. Uh, deliver me from the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horn of the wild oxen. And then look what he says at the end of verse 21 here. He says, you have answered me. That was Jesus. That was God's answer. Resurrection was the answer to Jesus' prayer in the garden. I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. The assembly, whenever they talk about assembly of Israel, they're talking about New Testament church, right? That would be the New Testament example. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You will fear the Lord and praise him, all you descendants of Jacob, the seed of Jacob. Who's the seed of Jacob in here? Come on, somebody. Glorify him and fear him, all you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard, even in your lowest place, God still hears you. My praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows to those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Hello, hallelujah. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord. That's the goal, right? And all the families of the nations, that's clear reference to the Gentiles joining the church, shall worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules forever. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust shall bow before him. This is a, a reflected in Paul's writing in Philippians 2.9 where it said, Every knee shall bow in, uh, before the Lord of all. Um, even he cannot keep himself alive. The posterity shall serve him. It will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. Right? Those youth. And they shall come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has done this. Can't have Psalm 23 without Psalm 22. The Psalms are full of New Testament principles and um, the lead us and guide us. And you can see that, uh, you know, when people ask about, the, well, how do you know the Bible's true? How do you know you can base your life on, on it? How, how would... A thousand years before Jesus came, would David have a clue what any of this meant? The Roman Empire wasn't established. They weren't crucifying people. They weren't piercing their hands and their feet and hanging them up in the sky. They weren't piercing a heart and watching water and blood drain out. How would David know this? He had to prophesy about it. So there's four prophecies in this psalm. I want to run through these real quick. And then uh, the New Testament 
fulfillment of that prophecy in verse 7 and 8 um, of this psalm. By the way, let me just uh, say this, okay, because I know this always happens. I call this series like great chapters in the Bible, but the psalms aren't divided up into chapters, right? They're divided up into psalms, so it's Psalm 22, not Psalm chapter 22, it's Psalm 22. So don't get tripped up on the great, ch it's great psalms in the Bible. How about that? We should just call it that. And, and that happens when we do Psalm 91 or Psalm 119 or Psalm 51. It's just great psalms in the Bible, all right? So these four prophecies, verse 7 and 8, says, All those see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake their heads saying, he trusted in the Lord, let him rescue him, let him deliver him since he delights in him. This is the ridicule of people, right? And it was clear this phrase was actually spoken by the Pharisees at the cross when Jesus was there. In Matthew 27, verse 36, okay? Jesus, we, we, I think we just said this a couple weeks ago, but he said, sitting down, uh, they kept watch over him there. And they put up over his head the accusation written against him. This is Jesus, king of the Jews. Then the two robbers crucified with him, one on the right and the other on the left. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Save yourself. How many of us have tried to save ourselves, right? If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking with the scribes and the elders said, He saved others himself. He cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him in the same way. So you can see Jesus... Uh, you know, a thousand years later, and the, almost the same words spoken by him. The ridicule, right? They shoot out the lip. That was um, uh, contempt with their mouth is what that means. When they shoot out their lip, they're like, uh, you don't know. You don't know nothing. That's contempt, right? You almost gossip, right? If we look at verse 16, which uh, we, we had talked about uh, a minute ago, he said, um, for the dogs, meaning the, the evil men, have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced. They, they sealed. They poked it, right? My hands and my feet. Look at David. Look at David a thousand years before using like my and my feet and my hands. And they can count my bones in verse 17. And they look and they stare at me. It's amazing that in John 20 and verse 25, here he is, Jesus, with, uh, right, our, our friend Thomas. <laughs> you, gotta, you know, if, if, yeah, I can't wait to get to heaven because it's going to be like, Thomas, you know, I, I just want to apologize for every single message that your name has come up in because it's like, everybody's like, oh, that poor guy, poor Thomas. He had to do it, right? But you know what? We've all done it. We've all been there. He said, uh, verse 24, he says, Thomas called the twin, one of the 12. He wasn't there when Jesus showed up in the room, right? And the other disciple therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see his hands 
and the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and my hand into his side, I will not believe. It's amazing to me that even Thomas, who, who might have, maybe not, maybe he never heard Psalm 22, maybe he never heard the prophecy, but he still is like unbelieving. And how many people do we run across in our life who are like, nah, that God stuff. I, I just don't see it. I don't hear it. I don't feel it. So um, specifically predicted that his hands and his feet would be pierced. And Thomas goes on there, and, and then Jesus shows up, right? Doesn't he feel like you got your foot in your mouth then? Be like, oh, man, look who's here, right? And he's like, you know, he says to him in 27, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it in my side. And he says, do not be unbelieving, but believing. That would be a good refrigerator right on your mirror at home, right? Do not be unbelieving, but be believing. I, I would probably put that like, someplace where you can see it every day. So specifically predicted his hands and feet would be pierced. Verse 18, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothes they cast lots. Back to John 19, we got uh, <laughs> the same story, right? It's just like, man, you're putting your foot all the way in there, all the way in your mouth. He says, uh, Casting lots for his, quoting, uh, for his clothing, that is, that is quoted in all four gospel accounts. And uh, in John 19, verse 23 and 24, uh, John accounts for it. And he says this, And then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments. And these are Roman soldiers. They don't know. They have no idea what's going on. They're trying to make a buck, right? took his garments and made uh, four parts to each soldier apart, and also was the tunic. Now, the tunic was without seam woven uh, from the top in one piece. Now, uh, this psalm parallels in Isaiah, starting in like, I think it's like about chapter 42 all the way through 53. There's four servant songs in there, and it ends with the suffering servant. And, and it's been ministered multitude of times how Jesus is a suffering, uh, poor, hapless peasant uh, who, who is just, oh, he's just taken on the, the burden of the world. And let me tell you something. If, I, if I'm going to wear a tunic that was without sea woven from the top in one piece, I would have to say in, in this day and age, Jesus had some nice clothes. It wasn't just something that he got at the Leisure League or, or at, uh, you know, Grandma gave him an extra Hawaiian shirt or something, right? This was nice. It was woven. It was probably, you know, created by someone specifically for him out of nice stuff, right? So Jesus wasn't this poor, lonely peasant and, oh, I don't have a place to lay my head. I would suggest to you that Jesus had it all together. He wore nice clothes, probably wore, you know, they wouldn't be gambling for rags and Hawaiian shirts from the Leisure League, right? right? Jesus had him some nice stuff. And I, I would suggest that he probably had some cha-ching in his account because otherwise he wouldn't need an accountant 
And it says in the Gospels that Judas was stealing the money and Peter caught him. It was like, hmm, well, you got to have more than $2 to steal one. Otherwise, somebody's going to notice, right? So Jesus had some nice stuff. He wasn't this peasant. That otherwise, they wouldn't be casting lots for his clothes. And, of course, the fourth prophecy coming out of this psalm, which is probably the biggest, the most important, the most significant and important one, of course, is verse 1. He says, my God, my God, my God. That's amazing. My God, the Savior saying, why have you forsaken, literally looked away, turned away? Why are you so far from helping me? And um, from the words of my groaning, you know, when you groan, you groan from the inside out. He is groaning from the, the um, absence from the inside of God, inside his heart. He is moaning that... Uh, he has, the Lord has left him, literally turned his back on him. And you can't even imagine the pain that these two have been together from eternity, right? From the beginning. And it's just like now God is turning his back on his son because of the sin, right? And at this moment, Jesus himself is experiencing the darkest moment of his life, right? And, and here's the thing I want you to think about. Jesus went through what he went through. We're going to teach this series at Easter about the cross. We're going to go through all four parts of it, and we're going to look at every single part. But this part, when Jesus dies on the cross, uh, on part three, on Good, uh, Good Sunday, that's not called, what's it called? Palm Sunday, right? We're going to look at Jesus, and, and he dies on the cross, and, and he is absolutely split off from God. There isn't any part of those two that are one anymore. And, and he, he does this willingly and knowing on purpose. And of course, he quotes this in, in Matthew 27, back to Matthew 27, and verse 46, Jesus says this in the sixth hour, verse 45, in it, uh, until the ninth hour, darkness was all on the land. And about the ninth hour, which would be three in the afternoon, because the Jewish day starts at 6 a.m. and goes until 6 uh, p.m., or 6 a.m. the next day. So it's about three in the afternoon, darkness falls on the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He has turned from him. Uh, this cry of... Um, from Jesus is a direct quote from Psalm 22, verse 1. And, and I got to tell you, a thousand-year difference. Um, and he's, I mean, it's direct, the same exact words. It, this reflects the burden of humanity's sin on him. And he's doing this willingly and knowingly on purpose. For you, for you, for you, for me. For everyone. And, and people can't really understand that the discussion that happens about Jesus going to hell or not going to hell is quite clear that Jesus wouldn't have went through what he went through on the cross and after the cross if he didn't pay the full price for humanity. Right? It wasn't just a, oh, they like took sin and laid a cloak on him and said, okay, that's good. No, Jesus had to pay the complete price for sin. 
That meant going to hell and paying the price. And if we, in that series, we talk about looking at uh, um, the whale guy. What was his name? Jonah. And the whale being pounded by wave after wave after wave. I can't believe I forgot that. Of, of, of just the punishment of being put in that place. I believe, it is my belief, that uh, Jesus was experiencing the darkest moment of his life. That is why he struggled so hard in the Garden of Gethsemane, because he knew what was coming. He knew that, the, that his number one, separation from his father, and number two, he had to. He had to, because any time a covenant's broken, somebody's life is required. God was going to put it on him, and he did hardcore he pulled nothing back and you think about the sin from the beginning of time all the way through the end of days that is not just something that just is like oh here you go couple little you know it is a beatdown that is eternal right and Jesus was struggling so hard in the garden that he knew what was coming that an angel had to come and strengthen him in the garden I believe it is my personal belief that Jesus would have died in the garden with the, uh, the pain and suffering that he was taking, just knowing what was coming, right? Just knowing what was happening. And, he, and that's why he prayed, if there is another way, God, if there is something else, get a goat, get a chihuahua, whatever. If there is another way, God, can we do it that way? And, um, and, and, God just was like, there is the only way. That's why it was so excruciating. That's why um, it was uh, complete identification with, sinner, with sinners and a real abandonment by his Father in heaven. And that is why Easter, I believe Easter, is so important to not just the church, but to you as a saved person. It's like, man, we're going to celebrate. You know, we celebrate communion every first Sunday. It's like that's an active remembrance of what Jesus went through, and then the victory comes in the resurrection, right? That's the answer to the prayer that we were talking about earlier. It's like that's the answer to the prayer, the resurrection, and Jesus walking out of that tomb in victory in the name of Jesus, right? Uh, you know, in, in verse, uh, we're going to change gears here and look at uh, praise and worship for a second because I believe David puts it in, in clear circles here for us to read in verse 3 and 4, right? He says, But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted, and you delivered them. We could make that our testimony, right? Now, God's presence, right? Now, if we were, when we were praying and fasting every night, we were praying for God's presence. And I, I pray for God's presence every day because God's presence is the only thing on this planet that can keep me sane and, 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 you know, following the Lord. So I pray to live in God's presence every day. And I pray, we were praying in the, the fasting prayer that this place, this room, this building would be so full of God's presence that the enemy couldn't get in here, right? Because uh, the presence of God's the presence of God brings a kingdom power that is directly related.
to the practice of praise, right? There's a distinct manifestation of his rule that in, it enters an environment of praise. And, and, you know, praise just isn't the, the first three songs of church and we sit here and kind of, oh, praise you, Father. No, it is a presence uh, beckoning practice. Let's call it that, right? So there is a direct manifestation of his rule that enters an environment of praise. We see David, right, when he failed with Bathsheba. And David was, you know, David, I, I patterned my life after David because he failed and I have failed. Believe it or not, yes, I have failed. Yeah, once in my life. And it was a mistake, right? But David has, has failed. And if you read Psalm 51, it is tr torture to read the, the sackcloth and the ashes and the repentance and on and on and on. But he never stops praising God. I think uh, Dominic was talking about it a couple of weeks ago. When we were coming out of worship. He was like, you know, the Psalms start with, oh, my God, this is the end. And we see it in this one. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then by verse 3, he's like, you are enthroned in the praises of your people. His presence takes up residence. Residence. What, what's a residence? It's some place where somebody lives in our lives. That word enthroned in the Hebrew is, is yashab. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. Right? Yashab. And it means to sit down, remain, to settle, or to marry. Right? To marry. So when... Uh, his presence takes up resonance in our lives. He enthrones himself in our lives. He doesn't come because we're worshiping. He comes because he is enthroned there. We're married there. We live there. As followers of Christ, we should live there. He doesn't visit. He abides. Remember Sunday? We can go rip some more leaves off the tree. Like, <laughs> Michelle's like... <laughs> Right? Those leaves abide in that vine. They can't live without it. When he enthrones himself in our lives, right, he abides in us. Right? His rule is invited to invade our setting. Pray that prayer. Let's have the Lord's presence invade this place or crash into this place. Right? We could get God's presence. We want God's presence in this place so thick that the windows are bulging out. The doors are expanding with just the heartbeat of Jesus. Can you imagine? And you walk into that, sickness leaves. That's, it's that song when Jesus sings, or Jesus, when they sing that song, when you walk into the room, sickness flees. Sickness departs. When you walk in, when people walk into this place and sense the presence of God, the result is faith and trust. Deliverance in your soul. Right? Deliverance in your soul from the torment or bondage. Right? You can be free just by praising God. How many of you guys have ever dealt with depression in your life and you get worship going, you get praise going, you get worship flowing, and all of a sudden you're, you're kind of turning a corner. Right? And it's all in those three words. They're all tied together. Praise brings trust, which brings deliverance. Amen. That should, be a, 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 that should be just good right there, right? <laughs> Amen. Quickly, in 8 minutes and 11 seconds, praise prepares a specific, say specific, and present 
present. Say present. Sarah's the only one listening. Specific and present place for God among his people. Did you hear what I said? Praise prepares a specific and present place for God among his people. He is enthroned in there. He's abiding in there. He's a part of it. Can't be separated. You can't take him out. Even if the words in a song stink, God's still going to be abiding in that place. He's going to not show up because you're singing about you. I always used, there was a song years ago. I can't even remember the way it went, but it would come in and my whole mind would just, just implode into itself. And then it was years that went by before the help of the fourth person in the Godhead helped me to see that you are making this about you. But yet, God's presence came in that song. I could never figure it out. And it's, uh, it, it was an amazing thing, but God still showed up, right? God was waiting for his people just to, just to have your heart open. And we see David doing that, right? Given an entry point for God's kingdom to come or enter, and then God's will follows right behind it, and he overrides human circumstance. What's God's will? If you were here Sunday, you know it's intimate relationship with him. That's his will for us, right? Since God is enthroned in his praises, worship is the key to fully entering into his presence, to release his glory. How many of you have sensed or even uh, been through a service or even a secret place or even in anything where God's presence, it's tangible, right? I call the Holy Spirit tangible God. And that type of response can take many forms, right? We've had it happen in this room, right, when the phone rings. Oh, jeez. What was I saying? This enthroned response uh, can take many forms, right? Can take prophecy, healings, miracles, affirmation. Lord, should I, should I change jobs? Should I move to this place? Should I go plant a church? Affirmation can come, right? Conviction of sin, salvation for sinners. All of these things can happen when God's glory shows up. Right? And it's not manipulation. I get that all the time. Oh, you guys just manipulating God up in there. It's like, no, we're aligning ourselves with a, with a great kingdom truth. And that is God is enthroned in the praises and the worship of his people. It's his power. It's our privilege and responsibility to praise and worship the creator and welcome him in. I'm going to end right here with 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, right? Jesus died and was raised in victory, prophesied in Psalm 22, created into the shepherd in Psalm 23, and filled out by him on the earth because he loves you and me. Let's all stand up and we'll pray. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Sandy, South Jordan, West Jordan, or Harriman area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, head over to bridgechurchutah.com or email info at bridgechurchutah.com or you can simply text 801-391-6969. We're looking forward to seeing you soon.